Hi, and welcome to Wild Milk Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Caroline. And I'm Susan. Every Thursday, we talk about true crime, paranormal phenomena, and everything weird or unexplained. So I took out conspiracy theories. Okay. Because I feel like every cons- everyone talking about conspiracy theories right now is treading that fine line of people thinking you're a Q anon. I agree because Q anon is just like they've it's like they've just gathered up every theory and they've taken all the fun out of a conspiracy theory. Right. And people look at you a little more side-eyed now if you talk about conspiracy theories cuz they're like, "Oh, are you like an anti-vaxer? COVID wasn't real." So, and I took I mean, that out just cuz I, you know, why not? Like Yeah, well, and honestly, like most of the conspiracy theories that we talk about anyway would really be more they would easily fit into like mysteries unexplained something yeah. else because we're not talking about any of the complete insanity shit right no no so anyway i did that i like it okay Approved. all right so i went first <laughs> last week yes so, so you get to go first and yours I, is legit this week anyway so <laughs> so i am going to be talking about more than one wait it's not even just more than more than one incident of a um, murder taking place at Girl Scout camps. Ooh. Technically, there are four victims, but there's two incidents. Um, I'm kind of curious now, like how many how many Girl Scouts have been murdered at Girl Scout camp? For real, it feels like four is a lot. I thought there was a Girl Scout camp massacre. So I think you may be thinking of the first one that I'm going to talk about. Um, It's probably the most well-known. Yeah. But the other one actually kind of reminds... The reason that I thought about that one is that I was reading about one that actually happened earlier that was solved in 2020 with... um, genetic genealogy and in fact it is the oldest case that has been solved through genetic genealogy that's very cool so actually you know what let's start with that one because it's older and it's it's kind of the reason i it made me think of the other one which i hadn't thought about in a while and then y'all i had to text caroline like an hour before we were going to start i'm like wait we haven't done this one already (laughs) (laughs) and what's funny is this moment of like Oh, God, I think maybe we've already talked about this, but we haven't, so it's okay. <laughs> Sometimes I have to go back through, I mean, what are we at? Like, we're, al- we're almost at 60. Oh, my gosh, we're about to do our 60th episode. That's wild. Well, I don't know about hours together, but Wild and Woke, period, yeah. is about to do their 60th episode. Um, that was going to be my next thing. If you didn't answer, I was going to start scrolling through episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do that sometimes, or I go through my list of topics, and I see, like, I just, it, yeah, well, yeah, everyone does it. Yes, but, so, like I said, I heard, so, this first one, um, what took place in 1963 in Colorado, um, in Jefferson County, it was the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office that ultimately, um, 
really deserves a ton of credit because they continued working on this case. Uh, I don't, I think that there may have been a period of time that it was considered cold slash closed, but they have been since 2014 really working on going back and reopening cold cases and trying to get their cold cases solved. So in this case, um, they were able to use, like I said, genetic genealogy in order to find um, the person they believe is responsible. So in 1963, Margaret Beck, who went by Peggy, was a camp counselor at a Girl Scout camp in Jefferson County, Colorado. She had been a Girl Scout since the age of nine. Uh, this is in August of 1963. Um, her tent mate had been in the infirmary overnight. So she had been in her tent alone for the night. And when she didn't show up for breakfast, her tent mate went back to their tent to check on her and discovered that she had been strangled and ultimately it was determined that she was also sexually assaulted. Her family was informed later that day and even though the initial investigation was what authorities described as very aggressive, they never made any arrest. And the case did go cold for a period of time, though they continued to look into it over the years. Using some evidence that was recovered from the original crime scene, they were able to create a profile of a Jane Doe, first in 2007 and then again in 2019. In October of 2019, they were led to the person they believe to be responsible, who is, and I'm saying this be, for a reason, the DNA profile indicates that he's responsible. His name is James Raymond Taylor. He was known to live in the area, he was known for sure to live in the area with a wife and at least one child in 1961. Um, they knew he for sure was living in Edgewater, Colorado at that time. He is believed to still have been in the area in 1963. He worked in a television repair shop. He had absolutely no connection to the camp, no connection to the, to the murdered girl, no connection to the family. Um, but they were, they collected the DNA and used a private company to analyze it, which led them, it led them first to his relatives. And I, I think probably most people know how genetic genealogy works. This is the same concept that was used to, um, so genetic genealogy is what they ultimately used to find the Golden State Killer as well. Yes, yeah, I knew that. So again, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be like Billy Jensen and Paul Holes for a minute and remind everybody that if you have a DNA profile, that you can upload that to GEDmatch and potentially help people solve old crimes or potentially help people find relatives, um, find like adopted children, orphan children, find. Mm -hmm. blood relatives so totally a positive thing i mean unless of course you commit crimes in which case you might not want to do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh my god all these people <laughs> so they have issued a warrant for james raymond taylor but they not only have not been able to locate him to arrest him and possibly find out what how what even occurred on that night mm -hmm. um 
they don't know for sure whether he's even living or dead. He has a criminal record with incidents in 1972 and 1974. He was last seen in Las Vegas, Nevada area in 1976. Oh, wow. So, um, probably he's dead. You know, you never know. People do turn up sometimes. So, um, because they haven't been able to determine if he's living or deceased, um, they are still actively... They, there is an active warrant for his arrest, and they are actively seeking him. And just in case anybody who has any information about him or about the crime in general can call the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office tip line, which is 303-271-5612, or Metro Denver Crime Stoppers at 720-913-STOP, S-T-O-P. So hopefully... They will get to actually arrest someone in that, but it sounds like there's a solid chance that he is deceased. Yeah. But that was just last year that they were able to use genetic information to find the person who matches the DNA from the scene. So that's pretty amazing. That is really amazing. But that one reminded me of this one. And I think it's probably the one you were thinking of. Um, where three little girls were um, murdered. And it, I don't know if they were all raped. I know that there was the, that there was rape involved. I don't know if all three girls were raped, um, but the three Oklahoma Girl Scout campers in 1977. So this would be 14 years later in June of 1977 at Camp Scott, which had been a... Girl Scout camp um, in this council area, I think is what they call it, near Tulsa, for 49 years. So it opened in 1928. It is a 410-acre campground, which sits between two rivers, or creeks, actually, between Snake Creek and Spring Creek. So this day in June, June 12th in 1977, it was the first day of summer camp. And as they were coming back from dinner, it started to rain. So all of pretty much everybody was just, you know, going to be in their tents for the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. And these three young, and this, these are young campers. How old were they? Lori Farmer was eight. Michelle Goose was nine. And I don't know for sure that last name is G-U-S-E. I'm not a hundred percent sure I'm pronouncing it right. And Doris Milner was 10. Jesus. So, little babies, practically. And it was just tents. It wasn't like a summer camp where there's cabins. It was just tents. It, they're kind of... Um, like yurts? Kind of. They're like they're almost like the more... Um, I don't... I guess... I don't know if permanent tent is the right way to say it. Like a canvas tent? Yeah, like yeah. a canvas tent. Okay. Like with, I think it had they have kind of like a foundation almost. Okay. So they're set up and they're set in the same place. And they actually were the tents in this area. And there are multiple areas. Like there would have been hundreds of girls at camp at any given time. But then they all kind of have their own little areas. Yeah. And each area is set up kind of in a semicircle around their um bathhouse mm-hmm. so 
ha- these three girls were in tent eight, which was almost directly across from the counselor's tent. Mm-hmm. But the bathhouse was like s- sort of between them. So they were the furthest away, about 50 yards, if you could just walk a straight line between them. But the bathhouse was kind of like the, the counselors weren't able to see that this one tent from their tent. Mm-hmm. So it was a pretty bad storm, like I said. So everybody was was sent to their tents. Oh, you know what it makes? Okay. Remember the original parent trap? Yeah. Those kind of tents. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's a movie I do know. <laughs> I know. I'm so impressed. I love that one. Oh, my gosh. You know what my favorite movie used to be? Pollyanna. Hmm. Oh, my Lord. You and my mother. It's so good. I loved it so much. We call my mother Pollyanna because she's always like, like she can always find the bright side of anything. Oh my God, that's a good movie. But yes, I've seen Pollyanna a hundred times. And I love Parent, the original Parent Job. Yeah, it's, it is really good. So Lori Farmer was actually the youngest Girl Scout at the entire camp that summer. And she's the eight-year-old. <clears throat> um, she was really excited to make new friends. She hadn't been able to decide between going to Girl Scout camp or YMCA camp. And her poor mother decided for her and sent her to Girl Scout camp. Oh, something she will always remember. Yes. She has said that she regretted it for the rest of her life or would regret it for the rest of her life. I'm sorry. What year did you say this was? This is 1977. 77. Okay. So Lori, the girls um, decided to, oh, go ahead and write letters home. Um, and I'm going to read Lori's cause I just think it's, it's so sad, but it's also so cute. It says dear mom and dad and Misty and Joe and Chad and Kathy, <laughs> all of her siblings. We're just getting ready to go to bed. It's seven 45. We're at the beginning of a storm and having a lot of fun. I've met two new friends, Michelle Goose and Denise Milner. I'm sharing a tent with them. It started raining on the way back from dinner. We're sleeping on cots. I couldn't wait to write. We're all writing letters now because there's hardly anything else to do. With love, Lori. Damn. So Michelle had attended the same camp the previous year and was excited to return. Um, Denise, who was super anxious about going, was she was just kind of nervous about being away from home for that long. And had almost decided that she didn't want to go. And her mom also convinced her to go ahead and go to camp. Oh, no. I know. Um, this poor mama. I know. I feel so bad. It's just the worst. That's the kind of thing, like, this kind of thing haunts me. Like, anytime something like that, like, you know, you just have that weird instinct. Like, maybe I don't want to do something just completely normal. This is the kind of stuff that I'm like, oh, my God, what if you just, what if you think these things for a reason? Yeah. So Denise had actually, um, she sold Girl Scout cookies in order to earn the money to attend. So Is that a little bit like... <laughs> Working at a fast food restaurant and paying for college in 1976. I feel like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Because I think, I, I think in order to 
sell enough Girl Scout cookies to go to camp now, you would have to sell like four million boxes or something. Oh, yeah. My parents had to get help from our church when I, like the first year I went to summer camp because it was so expensive. That's wild. Well, it was a Christian camp, but I, I actually, this is like triggering me a little bit, not in a bad way. Maybe, I don't know. I had some weird shit happen at camp. Because I went to summer camp every summer from 8 to 16. Same camp. And it makes me think we were just, like, out in, like, the woods. Just We were in cabins, but there was no security around us. We were just out there. I went to camp, I think I was 11 the first summer that I went. 11 or 12. And I went until I graduated. I went the my last summer at camp was the summer after I graduated from high school. Ours didn't go that far. I did do um, a little bit with it after. You could start being a counselor by like when you were seventeen. We I think the first year you could be a counselor. You had to be eighteen. But the problem, like we had one friend who graduated like just a year before I did, mm-hmm. and my senior year he was a counselor, and it was like that. It was problematic. <laughs> That is strange. It just didn't, I mean, it didn't go, it, it didn't, it didn't go real well. <laughs> Mostly for what, was, what kind of camp was it? Church camp, Episcopal church camp. Oh my God, they're the funnest. Oh yeah, That's absolutely. where I got my first kiss. I think I've said it on here before. His name was Redding Kingery. And I just like, that is the coolest fucking name. And I was in that fourth grade. That is the coolest name. And I, I found him on Facebook and I'm like, we're friends on Facebook, but he's married and I'm married and it's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> you mean that you're not going to end up getting back together with your ch- first church camp boyfriend? No, he wasn't even my boyfriend. We was just truth or dare and we were oh, dare sure. to kiss. We played this game called Honey, If You Love Me, You'll Smile. I've never heard of that. I have no idea where, I feel like somebody made it up. But basically, the the goal was to not smile. So you could like you had to you could try three times to get someone to smile, and if you didn't get them to smile, you had to go to somebody else. But if you got them to smile, then they had to be the person who had to go get somebody else to smile. There was no so, kissing involved. It was just smiling. Was, well, I mean, like it. It's okay it, if there's no kissing. It got weird. <laughs> But basically what I'm saying is, at church camp, I learned how to be a stone-cold bitch. For sure. Because I was like, like you could, there were lots and lots of people who never got me to smile. That's crazy. That's a cool game. I kind of want to play that now, although I would never. I feel like it would be so much easier to make me smile now than it was when I was 13. (laughs) (laughs) So fucking true. I've never related to anything I was a fucking bitch. When I was 13, 13, I was like, you can do anything you want. And there's absolutely no chance in hell I'm going to smile. And now I'm like, everything is funny. <laughs> My, God. My dad's probably listening to this podcast right now. Like going, yeah, you were a bitch at 13. <laughs> Weren't we all? <laughs> Truthfully, it's amazing that girls make it out of those preteen slash early teen years. Very true. All right, back to the so, back to the story. They were at camp hoping to have all of this fun. Although so but you're right, so little. Ours was not um we were in more like I don't even want to call them cabins. They're more like almost like barracks. 
more than cabins. Yeah, ours were just bunk beds. It was literally like a shack put together. There was screen doors that like swang open. They didn't even shut. Yeah. Oh, no, no, there were no locked doors. There was no, but we were like our, um, the property was fenced in. Okay. Well, so, I mean, that couldn't really, people can hop fences. People could easily, somebody could easily hop a fence. And it never crossed my mind. No, because you were 11 and. Although at the same time, we always did um, one of the like week long activities that you could do was like was making a movie. Uh And I we one summer, our movie was about an escaped convict who managed to make it to a summer camp. So maybe it was in the back of my mind. Oh, my God. You just said, you were trying not to think about it, but your subconscious was like. I mean, I I genuinely never felt unsafe there ever. Yeah. No. But you're right. I mean, in thinking about this, like, of course, at the time I was like, I'm 11. I'm basically grown. Girl, I felt this. And let me tell you about one creepy thing that happened because in our, in the summer camp, in the summer camp I was in, um, we would go every weekend, we would go on hikes and camps and so all the cabins would get together and like the girl like cabin one and two of the girls would link up and they would go together they just let us build our tent and do our thing but I remember this one time our counselors were like only five years older than us and so they were in charge of us we hiked all the way out to this spot and then some man started coming down the trail like staggering down the trail oh god and our counselors are like 19 they right. had no idea what to do. Your counselors, looking back, our counselors were children. <laughs> <laughs> and so they pull out flip phones because that's what it was. And I'm sure, like, they were lucky to have those. But anyway, I just vividly remember that. And I still kind of get the heebie-jeebies when I go camping because of that happening. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like, I mean, that's the thing that you see. in a, Like, that. that's straight from a horror movie. It is. It is. And we, you know, before you go to bed at campouts like that, you tell, like, you sit around the campfire and tell stories about the weird shit that goes on in the woods at camp. And, like, you're already freaked the fuck out. Definitely. Well, in this case, I mean, this, we'll get to the theories, but essentially that's, someone just kind of wandering into the camp is, is more or less what they think, um, at least one of the theories is what they, for what they think happened to these girls. So they, again, because they, there was this bathhouse between their tent and the counselor's tent, plus just the noise of the storm. Nobody heard anything. Nobody saw anything strange. No one had any idea that anything was wrong until 6 a.m. the following morning when one of the counselors discovered a, one of the girl's bodies bound, wrapped in a sleeping bag, on a trail about 150 yards from their tent, which again, we're talking about these counselors. I mean, the Peggy Beck, who we just talked about was a counselor when she was murdered and she was 16. Yeah. So I don't know how old this counselor was, but you can bet she was probably basically also a child. Wow. Um, the other two bodies were found very quickly afterwards. One was out in the open. The other one was also in a sleeping bag. And I said, I wasn't sure all three girls had been raped and bludgeoned before they were strangled. Poor babies. 
So Camp Scott, which is, I think I said the name of the camp, um, immediately became a major crime scene and was evacuated four hours later. So let that sink in for a minute. Parents weren't called. Children were not evacuated until four hours later. So they just sat there with... Um, no, no, no. They called their insurance company and an attorney before informing parents that their children had been murdered at camp. Oh, my good God. So, yeah. I, can't, I cannot imagine what was going through somebody's head in order to make that decision. I don't know. Um, the police were called and were able to determine that they believed that the murders took place between 2 and 4 a.m. And they believed that all three children had been um, held and killed inside their tent. The floor of the tent was covered in blood. It appeared that the killer or killers had, I don't, they, this says, says, quote, appeared that the killer or killers had made an attempt to cover up the crime. But look, let's be clear. This, the quote, attempted cover-up was like wiping at pools of blood with towels and trying to soak up blood with a mattress. Yeah. That's not... That's that's not really an attempt. I don't know. That... That's not high IQ shit. Exactly. So they found a tennis shoe, a footprint made by a tennis shoe outside the tent, but a different print was found inside the tent. Like so, a different size, shoe make, everything? No, I, I believe that the one, this particular article, which is um, the one I'm, the one I'm actually reading from and quoting is from medium.com because it's a really pretty comprehensive one and it was written um earlier this year yeah kind of going back and talking about this this old still um mostly unsolved crime I say mostly because I think they kind of think they know who it was but um if my memory serves though it's a the one on the inside was a boot print and the one on the outside was a tennis shoe interesting they did find some fingerprints on um the bodies some of the um, They were tied with cord and bound with duct tape. And there were some fingerprints found on that, as well as on a red flashlight that had been left there that they don't believe came. They believe that that was brought to the scene from somewhere else. They don't believe it was there before. This is so crazy to me because to have duct tape and string like that, you have to be thinking bad thoughts when you're going out into the woods, which makes me wonder if someone knew they were out there. Oh, wait for it. Okay. Okay. Just wait for it. It's just such a good case. It really is. Um, witnesses talked about that they, there was so much traffic around the camp. They really thought someone would be arrested anytime. Um, However, when they started questioning camp staff, they discovered that there was some indication that the camp had been being watched for quite some time and might not have been a spur-of-the-moment attack. Two months prior, a camp counselor discovered that her belongings 
had been ransacked. A box of donuts was emptied, the contents presumably eaten, but at least taken. And left inside the box was a note that said, quote, we are on a mission to kill three girls in one tent. The camp director wrote that note off as a joke. What? That's why she called the insurance company first. Probably so. I mean, I cut like I kind of understand at least having the like I don't really think this is a real thing. Mostly because, like, you don't ever want to really believe things like that. Yeah. But it just seems like, like, that's the moment that you literally pull every single person in the camp together and go, I'm calling the police until, unless somebody fesses up right now that this is your attempt at being funny. Yeah. That's because not even can't a good attempt. Because I not reporting that to anyone. No. They also had heard noises around the camp and dogs had been kind of the any dogs around had been on alert multiple times um which i don't know you're out in the middle of nowhere but you're on 410 acres that nobody but grow that but people involved with your organization should be on yeah so um the police brought in tracking dogs and on june 16th They found a crowbar, which they believed to be the murder weapon, and said that they had also found additional fingerprints. Um, No suspects had been officially identified, but the press was already speculating that, and and I'm, we really did make, like, a camp, a summer camp movie about an escaped convict. I don't think any one of us knew anything about this story. Mm -hmm. But the press were speculating that an escaped convict by the name of Jean Leroy Hart to be involved. I'm not sure what made them believe that just like straight off the bat. Well, I think they just. You always want to think it's an outsider. Right. Yeah. Or someone with already bad intentions or Mm -hmm. bad. Mm -hmm. Someone already in jail. Yeah. Exactly. Leroy. Exactly. Um, So there were some, there was some internal tension the DA um, started openly correcting the record as far as what the sheriff had, statements the sheriff had made. The DA denied that the motor, murder weapon was found and stated that there were no suspects. The sheriff claimed that there was one. A day later, the DA said that truthfully there were several suspects. Um, OSI, which is Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, OSBI, sorry, um, was brought in. Later, they would claim that the actual murder weapon was an axe that was taken from the camp. Huh. My thing with this has always been, does it have to be one or the other? Yeah. This is three kids. Now, granted, they're little. But it's still three kids. It seems to me like you have two weapons that you think could be a murder weapon. It seems like your instinct might be to think that there were two killers. Yeah. Especially since the note said we are looking to kill three 
three campers in one tent. Mm -hmm. And the footprints. And the footprints. Yeah. So um, they located uh, with using tracking dogs. Obviously, obviously the humans weren't doing this shit on their own. Nope. Um, the police located a cave about two miles away that looked like um, someone had been living there. And there were some eyeglasses that had been stolen from Camp Scott, as well as duct tape and a flashlight battery and two photographs that featured women uh, that were linked to Jean Leroy Hart. The cave oh. was, yeah, the cave was 100 feet from a cellar and foundation that had been his childhood home. Hmm. Um, there was also writing or I guess graffiti really on a wall of another cave that said the killer was here bye bye fools 77 6 17 which is interesting to me because that's not how we typically write dates yeah um, I think I believe that's how they I think that's the order the military puts dates in Interesting. Did this guy have a military background? I believe so. I believe there was a suspect that had a military background. Um, let me get there because I'm not, I don't, I don't remember if I read that in this article or a different article. Yeah. At any rate, I just thought it was a little bit, just a little kind of unusual to see it written that way. It is, but. I feel like the most telling evidence is the duct tape yes. with the, and the eyeglasses with the pictures that yeah. go with that guy. True. I mean, he's an, ob like, there's several reasons that he would be an obvious suspect and also a great scapegoat if you were somebody looking to frame someone and direct attention away from yourself. Yeah, but that would take some research beforehand to know who well, the guy is. And True, but if somebody... I mean, he was living essentially on the property and they weren't aware of it. Yeah. So, I say on the property. Either on the property or just adjacent to the property. Very, very close. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure exactly where those property lines are, so I'm not 100% sure it was on the property. But I, if it wasn't, it was very close to their actual property. So... <laughs> Um, to make matters worse, Hart, so he, he did have a record. He had escaped from a county jail in 1973 after he'd been convicted of kidnapping and raping two pregnant women. Um, but the thing that made matters worse is that there's a racial element as he was a Cherokee. So, just one more reason for people to immediately, you know, again, anybody who's different, right? Yeah. Different outside, it's easier to put blame on, on, on somebody who's not like you. Yeah. In any way. Um, but to be fair, he had, I mean, he did have con convictions for violent crimes. So, on June 24th. They had 200 law enforcement officers as well as 400 volunteers surround a four-mile area around Camp Scott. Many of the civilians were both armed and drunk. 
What the fuck? Oh my god. So, but in the process, members of the American Indian Movement, I realize that that is not no longer the term that is preferred, but that is the name of this organization. Um, also descended on the area to monitor the activities of the people that they were calling a posse, which look, I don't blame them for identifying that as a posse. Yeah. Because they were A, armed, but B, drunk, which is problematic. Um, later, a former Mays County jailer would testify that he had been told Hart was not to be captured alive. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, fortunately, that there, they did not find him, so there, was, there were no incidents at that time. On June 29th, the FBI got involved and sent 40, 40 agents to assist with the investigation. Um, later, a member of the American Indian Movement accused the sheriff of stirring up tensions and saying that um, he had created a mob situation. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean, can't yeah. really them for being concerned about that. Um, at the be- early in July, July 6th, the OSBI called a press conference and said that they basically had to retract the evidence that they had believed to be fingerprints because the Bureau, it had, they were not what the Bureau thought they were. Okay. Which I'm like, so they weren't fingerprints? Yeah. I'm not clear about exactly. Um, I'm not sure what they thought it was. I, I, I mean, they thought it was fingerprints. I'm not sure how you think something is fingerprints and then determine later it's not. Or maybe what that really means is that they weren't, they were, they weren't fingerprints that they were able to analyze. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I hope so. I hope it wasn't just like smudged chocolate sauce, and they're like, "Oh, it's a fingerprint." Yeah. <laughs> um. There were there was obviously like like you said what was found in the cave, and um, there was pretty significant f- evidence pointing to Hart's guilt. However, the local sheriffs also publicly stated that the suspect was guilty. So, of course, the question was raised whether or not it was even possible to hold a fair trial. What, again, when the sheriff says, yeah, this person who we we think is a suspect and we we haven't caught yet, he's guilty. Like, we're skipping a step, sir. We're not there yet. Obviously, this entire situation just kind of keeps rising and rising and rising. Um, Heart did not surrender, even though there were assurances made that, um, including by the governor of Oklahoma saying that he would, he would ensure that there was a fair trial if he would, if Hart would surrender. Yeah. But he didn't. Um, he remained on the run for another year and the cost of the manhunt was over a million dollars in today's currency. In On April 6th of 1978, the OSBI stormed a house in Cherokee County, which was owned by a man named Sam Pigeon. 
and took the suspect into custody, transporting him immediately to Oklahoma State Penitentiary, and Pigeon was charged with harboring a fugitive. Oh, my God. His trial started in March of 1979 and lasted until May 30th, um, which is, that's kind of outrageous. Yeah. It was obviously a really sensationalized trial in Oklahoma. And again, um, the racial, the, the racial divide was, was huge. Oh, um, yeah. especially in the, I mean, in this area of Oklahoma, especially there, there are a lot of Native Americans, um, and just the fact that they immediately found the nearest Native person to blame is troubling, and then claiming he was guilty before he was even in custody. That part, yes, but I don't, I would still, I think, race not even crossing my mind, I would still go with the convict on the loose. I mean, I, I completely understand why that was the, yeah, why that's where they started looking first. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like if there hadn't that that tension and even worse, bringing basically creating a gigantic posse of armed, yeah, drunk white dudes. Yeah, that's horrible. Um, like you're already you're just creating a situation where discovering the truth is going to be harder because. You're just, you're stacking the deck against yourself at that point. Like yeah. you said, I mean, there's, there was evidence against him. Okay. There's evidence against him. That's it. Be done. Like all of that though, just, and again, time period, racial tension just created this kind of mm-hmm. sensational situation. Um, the Cherokee population was generally strongly in support of heart. They, in one, I'm not sure exactly where this was. I I think Broken Arrow, but I'm not 100% sure. They had, um, they basically did like a, they had fourth graders vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they found him innocent 32 votes to three. Goodness. Which, can we just for a minute talk about like, Please tell me why fourth graders are discussing a case in which three girls that are their age were raped and murdered. Because it's the 70s. I mean, but goddamn. Like, nobody involved went, look, maybe this is not age appropriate for y'all. Yeah, that's true. So, there were some other things. Um... The eyeglasses that were tracked to the cave um, was was kind of a big piece of evidence because those were stolen from the camp, meaning he presumably had actually been to camp, been inside the camp close enough to steal from them. Yeah, he admi- he admitted to the previous assaults. Really, and most people believed that he had intended to kill both victims. And interestingly, when he was arrested for those crimes, he was wearing one of the women's glasses. Yikes. Yikes. However, so wait, I have a question that you might not yeah. be able to answer. Did people in this town 
know before this case that that man was on the loose, or did he literally go on the loose the exact same time this crime well, happened? Well, he had been on the run since 1973, and that was he was from that area. I don't know whether anybody knew for certain he was there. Yeah. My guess is that's kind of one of those um, campfire stories. Because the thought, a way to say it, the thought that crossed my mind for a split second was if, and I didn't know, like that's three years apart that he was on the run, right? Uh, yeah, or four, three between so, three and four. Who's to say somebody didn't know? And like you said earlier, just completely set him up. The the fact that it, the graffiti on the cave wall that said the killer was here or whatever with the date troubles me. That, and the women, the pictures of the women, was it like women he was dating or just women he had knew in the past that could link? I'm not sure who, it was, they were just tied to him. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know. Yeah, the date is weird. The dating it, like putting the date to make sure that somebody knows that you're talking about that killer from this incident. Mm-hmm. It's just that just comes across very. Yeah. I don't know. Um, so Hart's defense attorney more or less accused the sheriff of planting evidence and he offered an alternative suspect named William Stevens, who was a convicted rapist. A waitress testified and was able to possibly, excuse me, positively identify Stevens as a man that she had seen inside her cafe on the morning of the killings. So this was only 15 miles away from the camp, and she was able to confirm that Stevens ate at the cafe between 5 a.m. and 6 a.m. and, in her opinion, appeared to be nervous. An 11-year-old Girl Scout from the camp also testified that she had seen William Stevens at Camp Scott in the days before the murders. What? Was this an all-girls camp? Um, yes. But there probably would have been staff members, mm. maintenance, groundskeepers. So yeah. that I'm, I believe that's why that wasn't necessarily like yeah. a super unusual thing. Um, apparently, he didn't. There was nothing, no indication that any that he was scaring them or anything. She just when was shown, when she was shown his picture, she was able to identify him as someone she saw on the campgrounds. Um. They also had witnesses who testified that the red flashlight found at the scene belonged to them and that they had loaned it to Stevens and his friend, mm -hmm, Mm -hmm. Dwayne Peters, a few weeks before the murders. They added that the new suspect, Stevens, had actually come to their home after the killings and had scratches on his arms and his neck. And had blood on his boots. Oh, wow. So again, like, this is one of those things that it's like, it seems like there's this obvious suspect. And then (laughs) there's this huge twist. Um, Peter, Dwayne Peters, who was the, the friend of William Stevens, actually told investigators that Stevens admitted to him 
while they were drunk that he had killed these little girls. He claimed that Stevens had been working on an oil rig near the camp, was raised in the area, so he knew that there would be Girl Scouts on the property in, at, early in the summer. So he started watching them and utilizing tactics that he had learned while he was in the military in Vietnam. Oh, yeah. There you go. And also deliberately selected the most isolated tent to attack. Yeah. Um, Covering the lens of the flashlight they had borrowed with duct tape, a small incision was made so as not to alert anyone else in the camp before entering and committing the crime. Stevens, on the other hand, claimed basically like, no, none none of that's true. He said he didn't work on an oil rig. He didn't know the area. He didn't borrow the flashlight. Like those are things they could disprove. Right. He took the 100% shaggy, it wasn't me defense. Yeah. They had taken blood and semen samples from both men and ruled them out as suspects in the case. Just because of that one thing. You know, I don't really know. I mean, obviously in 1977, they weren't using DNA. Yeah. I would get, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. How would you know? You took blood samples from them, but unless their blood was on the scene, how would you know? And there's so much blood. How could you ever know for sure? what was the murderer's blood and what was the victim's blood. Right. Um, the ending of this trial was kind of insane. Shouting, fighting. Um, the jury of six men and six women took only five minutes to find Jean Leroy Hart not guilty of all charges. Oh my God, good. Which, I mean, here's the deal. Um, Yeah, because there was a reasonable alternate theory presented. And that immediately means reasonable doubt. Yeah. The sheriff was, quote, shocked and disgusted, which is not terribly surprising, given that he had basically already convicted this dude before they even caught him. Right. Um, But comma he also announced that they would not be reopening the case and he told the press quote we had the man we were after the os the osbi agreed they said they had already caught the right person they had no intention of reopening the case um hart was ultimately obviously transferred to the Oklahoma state penitentiary because he already had a 308 year sentence for the rapes he committed in 1966. Mm -hmm. Um, However, he died of a heart attack just two months after the ending of the Girl Scout murders trial. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, Two of the families actually sued the, Girl Scout Council, but lost the case. Uh, Lori Farmer's mother, Sherry, became an outspoken advocate for victims of crime. And she formed the Oklahoma chapter of the Parents of Murdered Children. 
That sounds horrid, horribly depressing. Yeah, no shit, right? Um, in 1989, DNA testing on samples from the crime scene showed that three of the five probes matched Hart's DNA. Um, of course, disclaimer, this is 1989 DNA, so... yeah. <clears throat> I'm not sure how I'm not sure how conclusive I would think that that is. Um, over the years, they have continuously claimed that Hart was the right person, and locally, people remained completely divided. Either they believed he absolutely was the murderer, or they believed he absolutely was not. The only kind of in between was that people thought maybe he. Um, had had someone else with him who was never actually investigated. In 1996, the locals petitioned the grand jury to and petitioned for a grand jury investigation. But the jury was never called. There were two other people who were considered alternative suspects, Sonny James and Frank Justice. Frank Justice was an alcoholic who had been arrested multiple times for, I believe, kind of pre- kind of petty crimes that were mostly linked to being intoxicated. Yeah. Um, but he was a friend of Gene Hart's and had bragged about seeing the writing on the cave wall before the hideout was found by police. Hmm. Um, Sonny James would have only been 16, 16 years old in 1977, but he was Frank Justice's nephew. He also had a history of petty crime, kind of various alcohol and drug violations, nothing, um, no violent crimes. However, um, he would go on to be found not guilty of attempted murder mm-hmm. and eventually kill, kill a man who, who supposedly cheated him out of money. Can I just say that it seems like there's a lot of people who are violent criminals in a really close proximity. Right. Well, I mean, there's like a jail. Prison? Is it a prison or a jail? I mean, I'm not sure how close it is. I guess that wouldn't really have anything to do with... No. Well, yep. Prisoners getting... Huh? I'm not sure if it would... I don't know. It just seems like they're... like. This is now five named suspects with a potential question mark accomplice. Yeah. I feel like a lot. Yeah. Um, William Stevens ultimately committed suicide in 1984 in prison while he was serving time for kidnapping, rape, and robbery. Oh, my God. (laughs) It's just... I don't know, man. It seems like that's... There's just... There aren't that many crimes that have this many people who are completely viable suspects. Yeah. This many completely unrelated people. Oh so, I, you know, basically this, it, it appears that this will never be truly solved. I mean, some people believe it was solved almost immediately and that Gene Hart was rightfully the murderer and walked free-ish, though he did go to prison and ultimately didn't live long enough to serve even a full year. Yeah. Yeah. Of that sentence. 
Um, but with William Stevens and Jean Hart both being dead, the chances of anyone ever truly knowing what happened to these girls or who, who did this to these girls is yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. It's terrible. I mean, it's, I'm sure things are a lot different now in a lot of places, but people send their kids to these places thinking that somebody's looking out for them. Right. And while I'm not saying no one was looking out for them, this is an eight-year-old, a nine-year-old, and a 10-year-old in a tent fully 50 yards away from the nearest person whose job it was to look out for them. That's so wild to me. I mean, how long were they at this camp for? Like, how long was the camp? This, well, I don't know how long it was supposed to last, but this was their first night at camp. Oh my God. So, obviously, I mean, whoever did it, somebody had been watching the camp. And pretty clearly to me, the note that the camp director wrote off as a joke yeah. wasn't a joke at all. No. Somebody, I mean, I don't know. It's a good case. It's a a good case, but it's also a frustrating case. Oh, it's, and it's devastating. I mean, it is because there's, I mean, anytime there's little kids involved, but these are, I mean, they're just so little. Eight. Yeah, that's so fucking. I mean, 10 even. They're all just little kids. It's so crazy to me. I'm, I don't regret going to camp, but it's so crazy to me that my first year there, I was eight years old. Because I take care of a little seven-year-old, and it's just like, they're so innocent. I don't think I would have wanted to be away from home. I mean, my camp was only a week. I definitely got homesick. I don't think I would have wanted to be away from home that long when I was eight. I think a lot of the little ones had a hard time. I can't really remember. I know. I, I remember being, I don't know, not afraid, but just like a little bit anxious before my first summer just because, you know, totally, totally new environment, didn't know what to expect. But I was also going to be with one of my best friends all week. So it was like, okay, there was like a little bit of that. "Mm, I'm going to be away from home long. I I think at that point, the longest I'd ever been away from home. But I was also going to be like, I had, I had my, my built in comfort zone. You know, that's true. Do you want to talk about something a little, little happier and funnier? Please, after murdered Girl Scouts, yes. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, it really might not be. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to do probably not that many listener stories because your story um, was really in depth, which is totally okay. Okay, so I chose this listener story from Autumn because... It's just a bunch of really short, weird things that happened to her when her, she was little. And I just, okay, I'm here for it. Yeah, it's not like a story. It's like snidbits. Snidbits? Is that how you say it? No, but that is now. Now it's... Snidbits? <laughs> we have combined tidbits and snippets, and they are now snidbits, and that's what we're going with. You're welcome. That is now a thing. <laughs> Okay, so Autumn says, okay, so three people died on the property. One was an old, she just gets right to it. (laughs) She's like, hey, I'm not even going to say hey. Okay, so 
So three people died on the property. One was an old man who killed himself. He shot himself in the head in the attic. One was a crotchety old woman who, by all accounts, had no friends because she was so mean. And the third was a mentally handicapped 12-year-old boy. So the boy had followed his older brother outside early in the morning when they went to go check on the muskrat traps. But no one knew his little brother had gone out to. The younger brother slipped on the rocks in the creek and split his head open. And she says it's a really sad story. So once, this is her talking about her experiences now. That was her telling kind of the backstory of the property, which I thought was Mm -hmm. cool. So once my brother had locked me in the basement, I clearly saw three pairs of red glowing eyes. Other than that, every other spooky interaction was with the old lady. Here we go. You gotta love spooky old ladies, man. <clears throat> Do you? Question I mark. I mean, like, I kind of like, I kind of want to be a spooky old lady at some point. I feel like, yeah, there's spooky old ladies, and then there's like the haunted old ladies who are gonna try and push you down the stairs. Okay, fair. That's fair. It's two very different things. So my mom would open the curtains in the living room. She, I just feel like she's really just getting into it. Like, there's no introductions or anything to these paragraphs, but it's okay. My mom would open the curtains in the living room, go into the kitchen, and when she went back into the living room, the curtains would all be closed. Us kids were at school and no one else was home. Lights would turn off randomly, but we never knew if it was the ghost or just the fuse box. Items would be in completely different places when you left them, you know, the usual ghost stuff. When I was about four, my mom was woken up in the morning because she heard something. She woke my dad up and she went to go check on us while my dad checked the house. I was still a foster child at the time and the threat of my biological mom kidnapping me was very fresh in her mind. So when my mom realized I wasn't in my bed, she freaked out. They woke up my brother, started calling my name, went outside looking for me, calling my name some more. We had a dog who also lived outside that I remember was barking insistently the entire time, though he never, and he never barked normally. When I heard them calling my name, I snapped to and responded. They came rushing over to the deck of the above ground pool, asking me what I was doing and how I had opened the front door. Our front door was a barn style, so in the sense you um, open the top half and the bottom half, you know, like Wilbur. Was it Wilbur the horse? Is it Wilbur the horse? No, that's a pig. Miss Red? Miss Red, thank you. Yeah, those are called Dutch doors. Okay, Dutch doors. I love a Dutch door, man. You know they cost like twice as much as regular doors? I bet. They're like $2,500, doors. It's out of control. Anyway, go ahead. I feel like you can just cut a door in half. That's what I said, but apparently it didn't work that way. <laughs> mm, I doubt. I doubt that's right. They just want to make money. Anyway. <laughs> um, but they were latched together. You could only open the door handle, door by the handle on the top half of the door. I wasn't tall enough to reach it, and even if I could, I'm not sure if I would have had the dexterity as it was a heavy knob. I told them that, quote, this is in quotes, my friend wanted to go swimming and open the door for us. My friend told me that my parents wouldn't mind. They'd be proud of me for being a big girl and swimming all by myself. And by this point, I was so ramped up, I tried to get them to let me show them how good I could swim. That night never got talked about again until about five years later. It was about 9 p.m. My mom and my brothers were in the kitchen. My brothers were doing their homework and my mom was cooking, waiting for my dad to get home. I had been put to bed. 
I was lying in bed thinking about how unfair it was. I wanted to wait it for my dad, too. But then I noticed a bright light coming from the doorway up to the attic. Ooh, they put her in the attic? She was in the attic, or there was a bright light going to the attic? Like, she was watching it go towards another place. When I noticed a bright light coming from the doorway up to the attic. Okay. Okay, so she was not in the attic. She noticed it from the doorway going into the attic. Yeah, that's what I think. Okay. There was no one in our attic at the time. Okay, if I would have just read one more sentence on. (laughs) Cool, cool, cool. Um, Where are we at? (laughs) There was no one in our attic at the time. This glowing white woman appeared at the end of my bed, cradling something in her arms like one would do if they had a baby. But I never actually saw anything in her arms, and she was just silently sobbing. And she says, she glided, not walked. There was no hesitation as there is when someone is taking a step past my bed. And that was very specific and very well put. Mm-hmm. Um, past my bed and through my bedroom door, my door never opened. I froze wide-eyed for about five minutes then i slowly got up went out to the kitchen asked have you guys seen anyone else in here which got me a few funny looks i clearly remember leaning back against the wall and slowly sliding down to the floor at this point my mom saw the horrified look on my face and asked me what was wrong i blurted everything out my mom took a deep breath and said i was hoping we could move before i'd have to tell you this And she proceeded to tell me not only the history of the house, but she brought up the situation we had again when I was four. She said, whatever it is, wasn't bothering, whatever it, whatever it is, wasn't bothering my kids. That's all I cared about. Ever since we found you on the deck of the pool at four years old, we've been looking to move. We just haven't found the right place yet, but we're trying. We moved within a year after that. Now people who went to school with my brother own the house. They still report strange going-ons, but I don't know any recent specifics. Wow. And then she puts, sorry that's so long. I also saw a UFO, and then her name. (laughs) So can I just, I really kind of want to put, I also saw a UFO on a (laughs) t-shirt. Okay, we can do that. Also, I saw a UFO. <laughs> and then, like, there's a crying emoji, and then that's it. <laughs> um, I kind of want to hear that story. So, Autumn, like, please, I want to hear that story. Yes, that's really yes. crazy. And she's she really writes that out really well, even though it's, like, blocky and, and weird paragraphs. Like, she's very specific with it. We need at least one more. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Another story. Um... I just, I just freaking love story time. I do too. And so you guys, let me just say, I was going to do hollow earth tonight. I've been seeing it all over TikTok, And I think it's because of the um, Godzilla versus Kong movie. Susan, did you see that? Um, they, they go into see everything, but I, ever since they made Godzilla a mom and she was just protecting the babies. Like I can't deal anymore. I, I've never watched a Godzilla or a Kong movie because, you know, animals. Exactly. (laughs) But I watched this one with my husband, and it's really cool because they go into Hollow Earth and, like, fly a spaceship in there. And that's, like, I don't really know. I was on my phone a lot, but, like, Kong does some shit down there. Um, But if my husband asks, I watch the whole thing. 
Is it on Netflix? Um, so we have a legally downloaded movies. <laughs> I'm whispering. <laughs> we get them straight from the movie theater, and sometimes it's really shaky quality with subtitles. See, okay, the subtitles don't bother me, but like, look, I'm gonna need the full quality. I so if wait. it's yeah, we don't ever watch that. So if it comes out right away, like say it goes to the movie theater, and it's like we can get it that day. But this is I'm gonna I should probably should not be saying. That. So never mind. <laughs> Forget what you heard. So anyway, my husband's like listening to this screaming, going, "God damn it! God damn it, Caroline! What are you doing?" Okay, here's our next story, and this is gonna be just—I'm just gonna read it. I have not proofread it, so it's from Brittany, and she put her whole name, so Brittany Goodman. Okay, so we lived in a house in a tiny-ass town called Cornersville, Tennessee. And the house, this, she's really specific. She doesn't give a shit who knows where she is or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and the house, blah, blah, blah. Let me start over. <clears throat> I'm so high. <laughs> <laughs> this is Brittany Goodman. Okay, so we lived in a house in a tiny-ass town called Cornersville, Tennessee, and the house lived in the middle of a hayfield. This is important for later. We moved in, and for a bit, everything was okay. Slowly, though, the entire atmosphere on the property changed. We'd feel something watching us from the windows, and we noticed that it was a pretty neutral energy. We even named it Henry. That's my brother's name. (laughs) The problem, though, is that a few months in, Henry wasn't there anymore. We would feel this thing just staring at us from every window, though two windows were much worse than the others. We noticed that the doors would start shutting on their own and stuff would disappear and then reappear in plain sight. Oh, shit, in plain sight? Like, you would see it reappear or it would reappear somewhere that you would, like, that it is in plain sight? It's yeah, gotta like, be the second thing. Okay, yeah, I think it's the second thing. Okay. God damn. <laughs> I consider myself a really, really sensitive to energies, good, bad, and neutral. And I figured that when she said it was a neutral energy because yeah. that just sounds like something you would say if you were like a medium or had that ability. Yeah. Um, and so does my roommate. We lived in the middle of a hay field where they'd cut all the trees down except for one super creepy one. Sounds like the fucking Midwest. That sounds weird. Are you laughing at me? No. I'm sorry. My brain just went through, like, this whole calculation of where the Midwest is. Where to (laughs) Well, where did it come out? I was like, Tennessee is in the Midwest. And my brain was like, no, dumbass. It's not. But so I was like pulling up maps. And- <laughs> <laughs> Quick brain, get to work. <laughs> Where the fuck was I? The big creepy tree. Yes. Super creepy tree. Oh, sorry. This yeah. sounds weird because I know trees don't have eyes. Oh, God. <laughs> but it felt like that tree would just stare at us when we were outside. I actually had a dream about it, and it was so vivid that when I woke up not feeling, I woke up not feeling like I slept at all. I can still feel myself there. I was walking down an old dirt path filled with small pioneer homes. 
As I walked, I noticed the home slowly deteriorate and become abandoned. I stepped on an old picture frame, so I picked it up and looked at it. When I looked back up, all of the houses were gone. I was at the end of the dirt road, and standing in front of me was this super creepy tree. And I can't explain how deep that tree looked into me and how much eye contact I felt with it. Shit. Okay, look. Brittany, that is either unreasonably accurate dream recall or really fucking excellent storytelling. And I gotta tell you, I don't care which. <laughs> I don't know. I don't care either. in this now. I am too. We still like, got a ways to go. I, I need I need some chapters or something. Okay, so Brittany just had passionate eye sex with the tree. Indeed. My now fiancé would wake up in the middle of the night and sit straight up and look at our window and say, what the fuck is that? And then go back to sleep. Oh my god, no. I That's you, that dude. Stop being weird. <laughs> I'd ask him what he was talking about, and he would have no recollection of the event. This happened like six times in the last year that we lived there. He hasn't done that at all in the place we've been now, which is about two years. <clears throat> so my roommate and I were home alone one day. My throat's going. And all of a sudden she said, oh my God, Brittany, what the fuck? And pulled up her phone. There was something in her bedroom window pushing out the curtain like a hand almost. The air was off and the vent in her room was on the ceiling across the room. Our cat was on the kitchen floor and we were the only two home. By the time she put her phone down after taking a picture and me getting across the room to look, it was gone. I'll find the picture to show after I send the message. Wait. I never got a picture. I'm like, whoa. Okay, well, hold on. When I'm done reading this, I'm going to go back and just make sure I didn't get a picture. Okay. (laughs) If we did not, Brittany Goodman, if we did not get a picture, we need to see that picture. Brittany Goodman, send the picture. Send us a picture. (laughs) Okay, another thing. One time in the middle of the night, my roommate went to the bathroom, and when she came back, she said there were just huge. There was a huge black orb hovering above her bed. She says it was black enough that it looked like a void. She said she could see where it was blocking the moonlight from her window, and that it was a foot and a half in diameter. She stood there and stared at it for like ten minutes because she said she physically could not move. When she did, she doesn't remember what happened next. Her now fiancé saw another black void-like figure in their room, which would just stand there and stare at them while they slept. This happened more than once. That sounds like sleep paralysis to me. That does sound like sleep paralysis. While I lived there, I had a dream. Damn, she is not holding back. Okay, my throat hurts. (laughs) While I lived there, I had a dream that was even more vivid than the one I mentioned previously. And it still, almost 2.5 years later, scares me to death. This dream felt like a direct threat, and that's when we decided to move. I was in the field we lived in, and the hay or grass was super tall. But instead of our house, there, were th- there was a big, three-story, white Victorian farmhouse. I walked in and walked into the room directly to the right. There were nine people, including me, standing around a huge cement slab with a body covered in white fabric. I didn't recognize anyone. We all wore long, flowy white clothes and sang a song around the body. I remember a big window letting light in behind a man at the head of the slab. 
but then I heard someone else singing and somehow something told me it was the woman on the slab, though she wasn't moving. I told the woman standing next to me and she angrily told me to leave. I walked around the house and started looking at an old school desk. I can remember what it felt like and smelled like and everything. All all of a sudden, though, my vision looked as if it were being yanked upwards through floors and floors, and then it stopped. I was in a hallway with a huge open door at the end. On the left of that room, there was a table filled with fruit and gold chalices and a feast. In the middle, a huge burning fireplace. On the right, there was a figure that I can only describe as Satan. He was made of shiny oil, and his horns were three foot tall, and he sat in a big chair. He had neon yellow irises. And he was smiling at me. And the scariest part is that in his right hand that rested on the armchair was my head. And then I woke up screaming. She (laughs) should write a book. (laughs) I mean, look, I'm I'm not saying, Brittany, that these things did not happen to you. But I am saying that what I'm hearing is a whole lot of really good storytelling and, like, some pretty decent screenplay shit. So, like, if that's not what you're doing for a living, perhaps you yeah. should be. And then she added at the end, I always told our roommate that someone would die there, and if we didn't move, it would be us. Oh, oh. my gosh, here's pictures. Okay, I gotta say first, <laughs> I was picturing this room very differently, and I can't even tell you why. <laughs> but this is not what was in my head. I mean, I can't... Oh, okay, I see what she's talking about. Um, yeah, that's a little weird. One of them is definitely a little more... Um, yeah, 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 the second one. The first one, I was like, I don't really... And then the second one, I think, I was like, oh, okay, I see. I mean... I used to have that same bedspread with my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> I'm just saying, that thing is like velvet and it is hot as fuck. Is, that, is this like the official... Um, millennial emo kid bed set. It is. That's funny. I'm going to use this picture. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. You know what? If you look at the... Which one did I send you? I think it's the one without the door in it. So I think it's the first picture I sent you. Are mm-hmm. you looking at it? Yeah. If you look right directly in the middle where it kind mm-hmm. of looks like a vagina slit... Uh-huh. That could be a head. I saw that in actually both of those pictures, but I can't, I mean. And then, like, coming off over here is a arm, and then coming down here is an arm. Like, pushing yeah. out. I can see, I mean, like, I can see where the, where it looks like somebody's pushing the curtain, but. I don't know. It's definitely a little weird. And her storytelling is, like, A++. Yeah, I mean, if we saw, it could be a cat, even though she said her cat was in the kitchen. I don't know. I want to believe Does you, Brittany. Does ever really know where cats are? My cat lets me know. He's like, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to do an okay. outro. Okay. Thank you so much for the continued support. Please find and follow us at Wild Milk Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Although I haven't really been on Twitter much because it's confusing for an old lady. I don't love the Twitter. Me either. 
Um, we have a great Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast. If you're looking for bonus content, early episode releases, and free merch, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. And if you have any awesome stories like Brittany and Amanda, please email us at wildmoodpodcast at gmail.com. Brittany and Autumn. Brittany and Autumn. <laughs> it's time for Caroline to go to bed. Susan, do your thing. <laughs> Remember, all stories start somewhere. Be wild, stay woke, and question everything.